Hello and welcome to A Cup of UX. You're joined today by Full House. So we've got myself, Tanya, Michelle, Hariklia and Iris. And today we're going to discuss the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, which we've been meaning to do for months. And we're finally getting around to it because everyone's free. Finally. For those that haven't watched The Social Dilemma, uh, it's essentially a documentary which talks to ex-employees from large tech organisations within social media. So Google, Facebook, Pinterest... And there's some other co-founders of other platforms that you've probably heard of, like Asana, etc. Um, and yeah, it just interviews them and gives an overview of problems that they feel are currently occurring within these large organisations and the kind of ethics around it. So yeah, um, just to kickstart the episode, um, what does everybody think of this documentary? For me, I think it's quite like reflective for people because I didn't know like the full fact they mentioned in the documentary so it kind of make it makes think of like oh my god how, how addictive i'm using the social medias and what's their marketing plans behind and how it's already become a new normal in our daily life without conscious i read some debates on the internet and like i think facebook say it's kind of sensationalism of this documentaries, yeah. So I think it's c- quite controversial. I think for me, um, after watching that that documentary, it made me reflect on how you know um, reevaluate my um, relationship with social media, and I started to turn off my no- notifications. I started using social media a lot less now. So by turning it off, I wouldn't be prompt to check it like every hour or so, and I I have felt a lot better in terms of anxiety. I didn't realize that, you know, just a small app like, you know, Instagram has such a big effect on my mental health. Uh, from my point of view, uh, I, I see like Netflix and the productions, they do like a, a really nice job, like bringing like a harsh truth uh, in the eyes of many people uh, about like how uh, these big technology companies uh, work and their their real their the real impact they have in the world. Um, for me, it wasn't like a, a brand new information. It was something that I didn't hear before because, like, my major project at Loughborough uh, was about like how can we find ways to minimize the use of digital devices to young people. So I already been on the stage like searching how to find ways like who is responsible for that. Uh, so. Definitely, like this, this, this document just uh, confirms things that I already know. I think there's some interesting key points that we can take away from this documentary. Um, obviously, I think when you watch any type of documentary or you read something, you kind of have to take it at face value and have a think about what their ulterior motives were for producing a documentary like this and things like that. But generally speaking, I think it has been a good opportunity for people to sit and reflect on their own use on how much time they're spending on social media and um, reflecting on how that's had an impact on their mental health. And if they identify that as a problem, then they can work towards addressing it. Yeah, you, like, based, based on like your personal experience, you just, if you want to see that way, you're going to see it that way. Yeah. Michelle mentioned about this documentary having an impact on how you view social media. Um, I've definitely adjusted my routine a me to buy this book uh, it's called how to break up with your phone essentially gives you a 30-day plan how you can reduce your screen time and um, obviously social media is a result of that 
uh, but usually I implement phone-free Sundays. Uh, so I'll try and spend 12 hours away from my phone. I'll leave it in my room and then carry on with my day downstairs, speak to my family. That's kind of been spot as a result of this documentary. Has, it, has anybody else experienced changes in their normal social media usage or their phone usage as a result of this documentary? I actually also turn off all my notifications so it won't show up on my screen. So, so Iris never, never reads our like... messages. You're no, always it's not. It's <laughs> because of the time differences. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually turned off the notification so I won't see it on my phone. But I don't know if it's actually also nudged me to kind of check my phone more frequently because I kind of scared that I, I skipped something important. <laughs> but I can't see it on my screen if it's locked, you know. But I think, yeah, Social Dilemma, this documentary is actually kind of like a cue to make us more aware of also the data usage and maybe let us to change, to kind of look at the privacy setting. I think one thing I did um, was I stopped using Google Chrome. I stopped using Safari and then I started using DuckDuckGo as my browser. It just, you know, wipes everything off and, you know, it, it blocks all the trackers for you afterwards. So that's one of the major changes that I've implemented. Wow. Yeah, well, why is that? Why is that? Because I've realized like that subconsciously I sometimes buy things from Instagram. Like, you know, when you, <laughs> when you swipe across the story, it's like, ooh, this is very interesting. And it's like, it's always like personalized towards me because, you know, I have a dog. So I always get like all sorts of like dog gadgets. I'm like, oh, I can get this for Canon. This looks like a really fun toy. And I've I realized that I've been, you know, buying things from social media. I'm like, oh, this is really annoying. Like, and then I realized that, you know, I really got to stop because, like, sometimes I have impulse controls, but, like, most of the times I don't. And I realized that, okay, I really have to put a stop to this. It's not good for my bank account. Generally speaking, I don't have a problem with tailored ads. I do have a problem when they overhear, a, like, a conversation that you're having and then try to sell you stuff as a result of that. So a prime example is I was having a conversation with a friend about the different rates and stuff that you can get having an Amex card. And literally that entire next week, I started getting ads about American Express oh, and their different so rates. It wasn't yeah. actively going online to search for things like that. I was just having a discussion with a friend. And I didn't have that discussion on WhatsApp. I had it in person. Stuff like that is a little bit alarming. But equally, the last week, I've been planning a virtual baby shower uh, for one of my good friends. Because obviously on like <laughs> WhatsApp, Instagram, things like that, I've been messaging people about it. I've been getting good adverts tailored to how I could run that session and products that I could buy and stuff which has been really helpful so I'm not too angry about stuff like that obviously if you are especially an impulse buyer and things like that then yeah that's obviously something you need to try and control within yourself or work on those kind of techniques to stop you from doing things like that but generally speaking I, I find tailored ads quite useful. I think there was this one time where we had this conversation about buying a podcast microphone with Heraclea and I, I started getting tailored yeah. ads for that. I'm like, I didn't even like go on Google and search for any microphone. Why am I getting like tailored ads for this? I read another article saying that the phone is not actually listening to us because it's it costs too much. You know, it's too expensive to get that recording and analyze it and, and store it the data. Like basically, yeah, it's more you know efficient to know who are your friends instead of listening to your your record things because if you are talking something interesting with your friends, they'll probably go to search for it and you will get the same ads. But I'm not sure. But I think it does make sense if, yeah, my friend is really 
like into something, and maybe they will talk to me like about this, and maybe I will get the same similar advent advertisements. You know, it's a cheaper way. Yeah, I think well, one of the things that they mentioned within this documentary is that it's not actually our data, which is interesting. It's trying to sell. It's trying to almost switch our mindsets, which they touch upon quite a lot about the kind of political campaigns and stuff, which were adjusted as a result of social media. Jaron Lavia, I believe it was, he's the founding father of virtual reality computer science. Uh, but he said it's a gradual, slight, imperceptible change in your own behavior and perception that is the product. So it's not actually your data itself. So it's the way that it's manipulating mm. you. Oh my oh, God. That's so crazy. I mean, based on how the kind of adverts work, I don't know if any of you guys have actually, have you experienced how you set up paid advertising before? Have you done that on Instagram or maybe Facebook? No. Okay. So you basically have your set posts that you put, you would upload onto Instagram as normally. Um, and then you click promote. Um, and then when you go on there, you set a daily budget. So it could be 10 to $100 a day. And it will give you a, a, a toggle bar that you can move and obviously the more that you invest the more engagement that that post will get um but then it's broken down into kind of categories so you get to pick if there's a particular gender or age that you'd like to target and then you have to basically type in a series of interests which i'm guessing would from the algorithm perspective be linked to hashtags somehow based on your dis what would come up in that person's discovery if they've searched anything related to a podcast or ux design or things like that then our podcast would get tailored adds towards that person um so that's kind of how it works i think in um university like you know since social media has become such a big part of our life there's like courses on social media it's, it's really interesting and it is such yeah. a good way to promote a business and like building engagement and stuff like that because everybody is constantly on their phones and instagram especially within our kind of age range or generation is a massive platform and it would be silly to not utilize it if you're trying to build a business and stuff like that. Like, so when I was running uh, Very Berry Candles, um, I had an Etsy shop, which you would think would get quite a bit of exposure from in itself because it was a handcrafted recyclable company. Uh, and people on Etsy seem to be keen to invest in companies like that. But most of my, the links from people coming onto my Etsy platform wasn't from Etsy itself. It was coming from Instagram. So people were seeing my ads on Instagram and then clicking to my website as a result of that. So, but you can also click what, if, what your outcome is of generating these paid posts. So do you want that person to visit your website? Do you want them to visit your page? Do you want them to message you? And um, you get to pick where you want them to go as a result of going on that advert. I think listening to you saying that, like what comes to my mind was uh, how was like we're talking about TV, like maybe... 20 years ago it's like oh to be just like we buy things we see on television and the tv doing that yes infomercials just... my mom does that all the time yeah but now <laughs> now the problem is way worse and the scale and just like and because of this personalization <laughs> they're doing well um, yeah so i think i think the way that technology has transformed everything is, is shocking like I, I remember how difficult it was to buy something off the internet and then nowadays with two two clicks on your phone you just you know go to apple pay you mm. pay straight away within like five seconds or something it's shocking yeah it, it's definitely meant to generate a positive user experience where you don't have to go and like i find myself all the time if i land up and it is always actually impulse buys um but i'll end up on a website and if they don't have apple pay as an option i won't buy it 
because I don't have my card <laughs> right next to me and I don't have that information. So I'm like, nah, forget it. I won't bother. And nine times out of 10, I'll forget about it. And I won't ever come back to that website because I haven't got the link. I don't know the name of it. And I was ready to buy the product. All they needed was Apple Pay. Um, so, Damn Apple yeah, Pay. <laughs> from that perspective, if you were to map that out on a customer journey map, it, having that particular process involved stops someone from not investing in your product because they haven't had to go get up and get their card. They can just do it straight away. Whereas if I have to get up and go get my card, I'm definitely going to give it a second thought. So I, ah. I don't know. It's, it's like trying to find that balance between ethics and what is a good user experience and technically it is a good user experience but it's also not if that person's just been on instagram and has done an impulse buy it's somewhat unethical Mm. to force them to make that process easier for them to make a direct purchase i think it's more about the gold behind the ux design isn't it it's like but then but then when you're designing a product or like a service for example unless it has some sort of social kind of benefit the main kind of goal of any business is to make money yeah say like it's not only like um the the, the experience and the user is in, in the product it's also like a company the money the profit and the the world that we're living which is like the way it is now you have to make a living okay you no know of course it's a climate change and it's like it's a lot of things that's going wrong and <laughs> and it's yeah. not going to change in, in a night and yeah, you maybe you are gonna be a revolution, and I don't think you can. Even if you're, mm. if you have, if you are be the most activist, if you are talk about it, you are also part of a system that works that way. And yeah, just for me, just you need to accept it, and also just it's like kind of fight that you need to make for yourself. And this is also comes to my mind. What is our job as designers? We need to do because we are the ones like we design the experience and we kind of trying to make like a friction free experience and the thing is just, it's time to it's, it's also kind of our responsibility i think because as we say as you exit the designers and as designers journal we're kind of the voice of the user but i think just it's time we just need to speak and also don't thinking only like what is easy for the user but maybe what is also like benefit from the whole society yeah I think um, another key point, which I guess follows on from what you just said about you are stuck in this system and you kind of need to progress with it as it goes along, is you're also trying, if you're as a business anyway, you're also trying to compete with other companies and you need to keep up with what they're doing. So like one of the things that they Mm. mentioned within the documentary, and it was a part of that uh, story series that they showed with the character Ben, they were trying to prompt him to look at his phone essentially. And one of the things that they Mm. said that they implemented was um, within the Facebook Messenger feature, uh, they added you being able to see when the person that you're messaging is responding. So it will come up with typing. And um, when I actually kind of sat and thought about that, the typing feature was implemented when we were using things like BlackBerry Messenger and WhatsApp long before Facebook Messenger was around. So then I Googled it in 2005 and Facebook chat came out in 2008. So we're talking a three year gap. So for them to say that Facebook came up with this feature to keep you engaged on a certain platform and things like that is wrong. I think they were trying to keep up with the current trends and their current competitors, which at the time were BBM and WhatsApp. And obviously, from the user perspective, 
whilst it does keep them engaged on their phone and stuff, the, the sole purpose of those platforms is instant messaging. It's useful to see if that person is typing straight away or if they're not online. I think Facebook was trying to keep up with their competitors as opposed to trying to generate this system that keeps you con- constantly engaged on your phone. That is definitely a result of it. It wasn't yeah. the key aim of it. Oh. I don't feel like any of it was intentional. It, it's, it's like the red... <laughs> that tick has caused like anxiety and fights and broken relationships. But I think their main intention was to let the other person know that, oh, they read your message, you know, they've received it. No, rather than have you like pondering over oh have they read my message yeah have i mean that was it? a terrible yeah. from a social perspective that was a terrible move for technology like like you said it's caused so many arguments <laughs> and it is just playing on this we live in a generation at the moment like a time period anyway not necessarily generational where there's instant gratification when we order something online we want it here the next day or on amazon prime we want it here by 7 p.m <laughs> that's just how it works we want these kind of answers as quickly as possible so the same goes for messaging, right? If you're messaging someone, ideally in that ah. moment you've messaged them because you're free and nine times out of ten you want some sort of immediate response, even if it's within a couple of hours. That's just how it works. And adding that tick feature has obviously solidified the fact that your message has been delivered and it's also been read. But it's also not fair because obviously we all pick up our phones, read messages. Sometimes we take a while to reply. Some people take days, some people take weeks. If you take months, then that's on you. But generally speaking, <laughs> some people yeah, forget. But speaking, like, people don't <laughs> respond all the time, and and they don't respond immediately because sometimes these things take like you need to sit back and process what you're messaging and come up with something a bit more on like an empathetic level. Like if someone messages you and says like, "Oh, I'm feeling a bit down today," you don't want to respond straight away. You want to respond back right. You want to make sure that person feels better. You don't want to respond back being like, "Yeah, cool," <laughs> because you've responded quickly because you didn't have the time to compose a proper message. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so yeah from that perspective and the social view it's kind of it's trying to move things in a direction of this instant responding and things like that and that's not necessarily the right approach from the social kind of empathetic view it's it's trying to push a different kind of aim in that process Mm. I guess they didn't have like all this in mind when they were designing that feature I mean that's one of the examples which um I disagreed with because they said oh yeah they added the typing feature so that you can see that your crush is replying to you and Ben's crush is texting him back and he can see that she's typing and I was like that's bullshit because that didn't come out on Facebook chat until much later than it did on BBM and stuff like that that's been going for years they're just keeping up with the competitors they haven't done anything Mm. maybe yeah but I think maybe maybe they said that because like the Facebook market was like quite bigger and just like for many people, maybe it's the first time like seeing that dot. When did people stop using Blackberries? I mean, they still exist. Um, <sighs> I know, I personally, I think I switched to an iPhone, which meant switching to WhatsApp when I was in uh, my second year of like sick form slash college. Oh, high, high school. school. That's so weird. When <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was in high school, college, uh, in the UK term sick form. Um, when I was 17 that's when I stopped using Blackberry Messenger and I switched to WhatsApp and that's just because that was that kind of transitional period where you either had a Blackberry or you had an iPhone and at the time majority of my friends had Blackberries but then I think that was when the uh, must have been the iPhone 4 you know the like black square one it wasn't the rounded edges it was the kind of more bulky one Mm. that was when that came out and then obviously people started using WhatsApp and People on BlackBerry Messenger had to download WhatsApp as well to contact people on iPhone. And then we ended up using both anyway. And even though at the time I felt like the kind of features and the interface of BlackBerry Messenger was better, I had both. 
but then I was like well from a functional perspective I can message everybody off this and everybody's now on both because they need to communicate with everyone well in terms of we design UX it's interesting to talk about what is good UX I go back to the <clears throat> the discussion we had like the goal and aim behind the design is actually like what is good and what is better design what is the best design company the clients we're designing for it's actually they yeah. aim to make more money yeah. and then also comp- compete with each other compete with other um companies yeah. so Justin Rosenstein who's the he was the former engineer at Facebook and now he's the co-sign co-founder sorry of Asana I don't know if anyone's used Asana it's basically like Monday kind of equivalent it's like a project management tool he was one of the co-inventors of the like button and he was saying within the documentary that obviously the initial aims of creating that button was to spread love and positivity online spreading generally a positive message you know it's a thumbs up and now obviously you've got the heart the sad whatever it's evolved Mm. but that wasn't the core the core purpose of building that and he was saying i had no idea that 10 Mm. years down the line people are now gonna develop an addiction to getting likes like if you get 10 likes on a post like they showed within that um again that's kind of story montage there was quite a young girl in there and um, she posted an image on the equivalent of what it was Instagram. And um, she only got two likes on the photo. So she deleted it and then posted another one with a filter. And then obviously she got more likes and it basically just showed how she got that more gratification from that than she did from her original photo, which is a whole nother discussion in itself. The kind of how filters are almost damaging how we view ourselves and like how people want to be perceived online in this this expectation of become like being perfect and stuff like that. I like to play with funny yeah. filters on Snapchat. But, but the, <laughs> the point of that was, it's just that wasn't initially the aim of that. And obviously, they couldn't have predicted that ten years down the line, it would be linked to mental health disorders, essentially, and causing people depression, even. And on that point, I would like to add, like, this also come for us when we talk about the things as intention behind it, because. Again, I'm struggling to look like the people, the, the initial idea of designing the Facebook or any social media or any text app wasn't like to like harm people. And um, like the tension behind was good, but again, this is like this conversa- conversation that is around and where we're designing, despite the fact that the tension was good. Even thinking if the impact was like a negative, we just need to reevaluate and rethink. And what is good about like documentaries, social dilemma, despite how good or how bad is, just like they they open conversation and they can make progress. Because I think now Google launched some um, uh, digital well-being advice. There, there is they make changes and they make progress, and that's that's we need to continue. Mm. That's for me like. Like yeah, message. Yeah. We cannot yeah. we just be part of a conversation that's ongoing. We're of course we're not gonna change the world in a night. It's interesting because yeah, like you said, it sparks that initial conversation and gets people thinking about their own social media usage or how often they're using their phone. There is also this like within the documentary, I know a lot of them kind of took responsibility almost for people being in the situation that we're now in in this kind of tech based world and social media addiction and things like that. But um, I think there is also this side where users have to take their own responsibility of how they're using 
these platforms and stuff Mm. like there's so many things out there like apps where you can like screen time feature that makes you really question how much time you're spending on these apps i've had days where i've looked at my phone for example the screen time uh, feedback and it said i've been on it for eight hours a day that's a working day almost and you're thinking how have i spent that much time on it (laughs) and then even within the documentary they asked people they said what do you think your average screen time is and people were saying like oh maybe an hour and a half you know an hour and actually their screen time was you know five times more than that yeah um but yeah, I, th- I think this would be a good kind of introduction to Haruklia's major project. Okay. Um, my major project, like my initial idea, uh, it is like how we can help students manage better their digital devices or how to promote like a digital minimalism um, using their devices. And I'm not going to lie, this is like something I was, I'm also struggling and I was like, it, I knew from a personal experience that it's hard <laughs> and, and in a world that's online that's constantly online this is so difficult and as I think as Iris mentioned so you have this fear that you're gonna miss out something important if you if you really if it's just sometimes just want to close everything and don't answer phone it's like this fear that you're gonna miss something very important or if you're a student and especially in our situation like what is basically our life is online we don't we don't even have the option now to 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 go or not allowed to go and talk to our friends. So I think it just it's just make it easier. From my research, this is what I found: like people that just they wanna kind of reduce uh, their screen time, but also they have this fear of of missing out, uh, what we call FOMO. And um, my solution basically is it was inspired for kind of a fitness app. Uh, it's kind of like uh, my goal is just to train people and support people to like build a routine which is kind of to find like a healthy balance of using their digital devices so they for example they can benefit uh, from that but also just be able to stop and like and be in like a challenge and like participate with some other friends that they would like to do that and like this I'm not alone with that that's community aspect of it so how did you how did you start with the idea like you know what made you think that you know I'm going to focus on people's mental health and their relationships to social media yeah because apparently it's really challenging topic to do because you you mentioned you also struggle with this kind of problem yeah what what made you want to focus you know your your final major project on this topic I think it was something I guess again I'm really struggling like personally struggling and I knew like also like people was there's also many other people and even only young people even like in the older ages or kids uh, it's something like just so difficult and though there are so many products in the market that there are ways to uh, to manage your time there's still this like this need to um, uh, to better like find and balance like I'd also had those apps to manage your task manage your time but I always just can't be bothered to put my like what I need to do today I just I know I know what I need to do I just don't want to use the app to manage my own time you know it's not really helpful for me my, my goal I think yeah. with um with this app is just like to just gradually like building I think I, I, will, I would like to like 
gradually built based on how much users I think just that would be like a machine learning or something just like a local algorithm like kind of like and also having users giving feedback um, to like find like a balance and like kind of a program that kind of works for you and just help you pick like those hobbies that just gradually it's not gonna stop using like an Instagram one day just stop uh, which I think just gonna have like the opposite effect because I also try that if you just skip Instagram for one day you end up like the next day just spending more time on it <laughs> <laughs> I think for me one of the one of the things that I've done to to limit my use of social media is, you know, when I'm with someone or, you know, when I'm with Carrie or if I'm, you know, hanging out with friends, I, I usually leave my phone in my backpack or in my pocket. So yeah, I think that's actually helped me become more engaged in conversations because for me, I, you know, I have ADHD. I get this distracted so easily. Like I can't multitask. You know, when I'm on my phone and if you're talking to me, I automatically like ignore whatever you're saying. And it's, you know, incredibly rude. And a lot of uh, and a, a lot of people I get super annoyed with me, like you know, having to repeat whatever they've just said. So people I'm... need to take a bit more responsibility and almost really own the fact that perhaps they this is an issue. Um, you know, there's no point getting defensive. Like if someone confronts you and says, you know, you're spending too much time on your phone, or yeah, for example, I was watching Real Housewives with my sister yesterday at Beverly Hills. <laughs> Honestly, if you <laughs> need to trash it during lockdown, Real Housewives Beverly Hills is the one. We're watching this episode, and I was on my phone pretty much the entire time. And then towards the end of the episode, I had to say to my sister, "Oh, what happened?" And she had to recap 45 minutes of an episode because I wasn't paying attention. And she was- <laughs> I get so annoyed when people it's do frustrating that. It's like... because yeah, you're sitting there, you have this kind of time together. It's it's a bonding experience that you two share, and then you discuss this episode <laughs> and things like that. And I've been sitting there not paying attention because I've been too busy on Instagram or on WhatsApp. Obviously, it's frustrating for the other person, and she's obviously called me out on it. And she says, "Well, maybe if you weren't on your phone and you were paying attention to the episode, I wouldn't have to sit here and repeat it." And my your instant kind of response as a human is to get defensive. Sometimes I think you just need to sit there and think, yeah, yeah actually, oh. I can appreciate why that's frustrating for you. And it's not a personal dig at me. It, obviously, everybody's guilty of using their phones probably when they shouldn't be. You might miss what someone says and things like that. It happens to a <laughs> human. Um, but I think it's just taking that responsibility yeah. for it, owning it, and then perhaps identifying that, okay, yeah, I could do less of this in the future. Maybe when I'm watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I should leave my phone in another room. Pericula's major project kind of identified <clears throat> those habits and really helped people to identify that perhaps this was an issue and it wasn't like in a way of forcing them with information and judging them on how much they use their phones or use these platforms it was doing it in a very compassionate way it was kind of like a, this is how much you're using your phone what is it that you actually want to achieve by reducing your exposure to your phone and things like that it was from a very empathetic point of view I felt so I think your app could honestly be very successful if you were to release it yeah, for sure. Yeah, who knows the future? I think just we just it's something that just we need to face it eventually. Um, we need to rethink. We need to come point to find new ways to yeah. to approach technology. And I think it just it come kind of like a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I'll scroll. This is how I feel. I will scroll a little bit before I wake up in the morning. It's like <gasps> I think you have a feeling <laughs> to do something bad. It's like oh my god, I need to eat chocolate. It's kind of. <laughs> 
because I <laughs> have these guilty oh, I spent like same I think one thing that I took from her project was that I don't have to feel guilty about using my phone because sometimes I use my phone for like meditation or for you know audiobooks or for podcasts just listen for, Spotify yeah, just so... I think yeah. that's also kind of the downfall in, in it though because we justify ourselves for being productive because we're spending four hours on Audible. But what other apps are you also using whilst you listen to that podcast or audiobook? And that's also an issue too. For example, if I go for a walk, I usually have Audible or the podcast app on. But whilst I'm using those apps, I am also on Instagram. I'm on WhatsApp. I might be checking checking another app for something. And whilst <laughs> I appreciate there are a lot of productive things you can do with your phone, I can put tick lists in the morning. So I write down what I need to do for the day and I'll gradually tick it off. Obviously, your emails can be somewhat productive if they're work related. If it's from JD Sports trying to sell me another pair of trainers, that's not productive. I think we kind of rationalise <laughs> in our heads with like, oh, but I'm using my phone to be productive. There's a lot of times where I don't necessarily need it. I probably could go back to basics. So instead of writing my list on my phone, mm. I could then ch- switch that and put it in my journal or write it down in a notepad and physically tick it off. I don't have to have my phone present with me. That could lead you kind of down the rabbit hole where you're on your notes and then you get a notification that someone's sent you a text or vice versa. And then you end up on other apps as a result of it. And before mm. you know it, an hour's gone by and I've lost an hour that I haven't done anything on my to-do list. <laughs> And oh my know, god so relatable I, you know like uh, i was in london and like i um, my wallet was stolen and my initial response was like often goes and always in my phone because like it, it was only my cards and just of few money it's definitely <laughs> a, like, well yeah we've all we've all become so dependent on our phones for so many different things like i mean I, I think if i lost my wallet i'd feel the exact same way because at least if i've got my phone i can cancel my bank cards i can go on my monzo and block the account you know, you can text people and say, by the way, I haven't got this. Or you can ring someone to come and pick you up. You can get someone to order you an Uber if you need to get home, like whatever the situation is. Um, and from that perspective, technology is great, but we're so dependent on it. Mm. Yeah, this actually reminds me of that one time that I think I was, it was like my first couple of days in Loughborough and I was a little bit lost. And I didn't know when the bus was coming and my phone was dying. And then I think I had, I decided to like, call myself an uber and then like halfway like my phone died so my uber got cancelled and my uber never came i'm like how the fuck am i supposed yeah. to get home and then luckily the bus came so i think yeah there's like <laughs> fundamental skills that you miss out on uh because you become dependent on your phone so for example i went to the peak district um it was the beginning of september time and obviously i used the app ways i had my car with me um was driving around navigating where that where I was staying and things using the app ways and then I could use google maps to actually do these walks and things like that and obviously see where I needed to go um so there was a point in my drive where I randomly just lost any signal and obviously you're in the middle of the peak district it's a very there's not really many towns nearby and you know you could be 45 minutes away from the closest town and things like that and it really kind of took me back to basics because I was literally driving and then the sat nav just stopped talking and I was like what is going on here my Spotify was still playing because obviously you got the downloaded uh, songs and stuff it was downloaded playlist um so that was still playing but I was like shit how am I going to figure out where it is that I'm going I just had to use road signs and like try and remember where I if I'd been down this road previously like trying to go via memory almost then or even just get out of my car and walk it somewhere and then 
figure out how to navigate and stuff like that. And I think that trip in particular brought back fundamental skills that I probably haven't used in the last couple of years, but they really are key. And we shouldn't lose sight of these particular skills that you should have as a human, because what happens if you literally get stranded in the middle of nowhere with no phone? Like you need to be able to navigate. Oh my God. It's so important. I can resonate with that so much. I remember like my childhood without computer or without, we just, I think just where we started just have to kind of very basic like technology i say remember a time when i like to think that we can all remember a time when where you've gone abroad for example and do you remember back in the day like you couldn't really get like temporary sim cards so if you went abroad you would only know where you're going with like wi-fi and things like that yeah well i remember i really remember traveling like that so when i was around like southeast asia i'd have to download like the offline google maps and then when i left that hostel i wouldn't have any so you had to physically Mm. go and talk to people And you'd be like, oh, I'm trying to get here. And often you'd be greeted with a language barrier as well. So you just have to find methods of communicating. And these are such fundamental skills as humans that we need. Like you need to be able to communicate. Yeah, even having that confidence to go and ask for help. And like, it's just key skills that I feel like we miss out on because we have our phones and we're just dependent on using them as a solution to our problems. And also, do you, do you what you say now also lead me to another point? For me, I kind of feel guilty to ask big people for help because it's Google and I can Google it. Uh, mm. Because I can. Oh, yeah, people make you feel so bad yeah, for asking. Yeah, for because help. it's Google. Yeah. Google it. And why don't you just Google people with. Like if you're in a completely new place, mm. I did this in Copenhagen. So I met this random person on the street and I was I had I had Google Maps. I knew where I was going, whatever, but I was like, let's just go talk to someone. I went up to them and I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to get here. And they were like, oh, yeah, you should go this route. Is this your first time in Copenhagen? I was like, yeah. They were like, oh, there's this beautiful coffee shop around here. You should go here. There's another food recommendation here. You can't get stuff like that from Google. Like, ah. you're only going to get that level of information by talking to someone that's from a place. or yeah. like They're not going to write a review about their hometown on Google, are they? I don't write about my hometown on Google. We kind of lose that yeah, yeah connection between people. Cool. Right. Quick question. If if let's say like in a year from now like things back to normal, do you believe like our relationship uh, with with like people who don't know is gonna change like in a way we're gonna afraid to talk to them or because we'll be so close and like so we we kinda forced to not talk with people because we're afraid how this this is gonna continue as a fair, like not talking to people or it's gonna be our desire to connect more and Mm, that's a good point i think it might i think it might be the latter like we we want to go out <laughs> i think for 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 me that's that's me like you know whenever carrie comes back you know i just Aww. really want to like switch everything off and you know watch a movie or like do something like i don't want to rely on my computer just to talk to her but on the flip really side we have already built that habit to use everything online to it's kind of like a habit because it's already one year isn't it like do you know know how to do everything actually one of my friends like bring her cousin with us one day and i just recently found out with that girl i was like we went like for a club and we have picture together like two years ago which i had to remember and when i found i was like really really we used to hang out with people yeah no it's, it's it's interesting but um i think that's about it really depends on the individuals and perhaps there's cultural things there as well um it depends do people still fear the virus i think it's going to be a big one because um so glastonbury got cancelled um this week and it's been all over the news and Mm. i had a couple of friends that had tickets for it and obviously they're disappointed but i was saying to them in this current situation six months from now 
would you actually want to go to a festival? Yeah, I was a bit disappointed. That Have you got tickets for it? Concert got cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was contemplating. Like I remember talking to another course mate, and she, I think she got it, and she was telling me to get it. I'm like, I'm not sure if I should get because it, it was it was a bit expensive. I think it was like seventy or eighty quid. But it's like oh. Taylor Swift and Hyde Park. These things will just keep getting rescheduled. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Like they're not going anywhere. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, just a kind of final question to finish on. Um, but would you say that watching this documentary or even just kind of the discussions that we're having now would it have an impact on the companies that you choose to work for in the future so would any of you for example go and work for Google and Facebook after watching this oh my god yeah yes I think for me I could bring some sort of like I'm like a more ethical approach when it comes to design another concern for me is like as an individual, how can we change the big company like this? So, you know, it's a system thing. Then they need to consider their profit, the business-wise, the marketing. You know, I feel a bit helpless in this situation. There's probably other companies that do have a bit more consideration for their users and the ethics around it that I would rather work for. But then that being said, like you, you all raise very fair points. Um, if we, we're thinking on that kind of wavelength, we can really give something to that company by working in these big corporate organizations but um and that being said as well uh, before I left the NHS my last week I had a meeting with Facebook in um their headquarters in London and all of the people that I kind of honestly their office and stuff is sick it's so cool they have like a mm. the top floor they've got like a sweet bar thing it's, it's really cool but um, <laughs> but when I was having kind of conversations with employees at Facebook and things like that I didn't feel like they were bad people do you know what I mean like they I think this documentary does give this perception of like Facebook and Google are demons and, you know, they're trying to like steer technology in this really negative path. I don't feel like anyone who works there. Yeah. Well, I can't speak for everybody, obviously. The people at the top are the people that really need to change their business models and things like that. But the other people that were working there, they were just like me and you. Like, I think they have good intentions and they're perhaps there for the same kind of reason. They're trying yeah. to implement their views and how they can make it better. Um, to contribute to a better service which is better for people mentally and things like that I will, I will agree with that for me it doesn't matter where you are but I think our role as designers is like kind of important now because we are the ones that we need to rethink and revalue kind of like um, you have this where we, we can make decisions that can impact the world um, and also, we are the ones we need to, as I think I mentioned it earlier, we, we are the ones that we need to like bring this this conversation to the table. In order, and, and also, I think we just also need to overcome the that mindset of how can make everything easier for people or that don't make me think. Um, I think just mm-hmm. our job is actually to make people think and and just <laughs> bringing people the choice, like be transparent with them just inform them okay there is this and this and just let them to make a choice but let them let them them know i think this is kind of our role as designers but in terms of the conversation don't you remember in the documentaries the guy from facebook or google i can't remember but he also sent out uh, an email talking about this and he got a really responses um... but then nothing yeah but the feeling, something just it's a 
battle that she's going to need to make just to get me to continue. Yeah, so it's all about the doing rather than talking. Like, I think it wasn't until recent years, I think it was like no, November 2020, was when Twitter started, you know, you know, providing factual information on, you know, the election and Instagram is providing factual information on, you know, COVID-19 and vaccines. And you always see that tiny link on the bottom, you know, for, for information about the vaccine, you know, you click on this link. Like, it, it wasn't until last year until they're actually, like, doing something about it. And I see that as an improvement. Mm. Maybe because of Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, like, everything that's going on right now, like, I think people are starting to realize that, you know, social media is not just a place to, you know, network. It has been, like, caused, like, a huge impact. I think we're going to wrap up the episode there. So um, thanks a lot for listening. Um, If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and five stars. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for listening. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.